Thank you, Jono, for adding that extra word that you sent to me. Weary. We're at the, the last Sunday of the year. And excuse my language, but if I could sum it up in one word, it would be almost like, it sucks. You know, it's, it, it sucks that the year's been a pretty sucky year. But I've asked, I asked a whole bunch of people within church, and I asked my family back in New Zealand, if they could sum up the past year in three words or less. And some of the answers I got, they, they ranged. They ranged, which were some were quite humorous. Some of the funny ones were my wife, not my wife, my, my sister. Um, yeah, my sister said, go to sleep. That was her one. If you could sum up the year, her three words were go to sleep. She also said, missing op shops. Because she goes to op shops and does a whole bunch of crafty stuff. My cousin Nathan, he said, never again, please. I went, okay, that's fair enough. Uh, and my, one of my brothers said, the oven's finally clean. All right, okay. So he had some humorous ones. He had other words that were given to me that were actually somewhat serious. One person just said, very bad year. Uh, I think that was Jimmy, I think. <laughs> very bad year. But he did, he did actually contrast that with another one, uh, which I'll, I'll get to a little bit later. Um, but one, little Jono, he sent me lots of change. Uh, one person said, a test of faith. Uh, and little Jono also said, far from home because of where he is. Uh, one person said to me, able to adapt. Okay, that's pretty cool. And here's one ominous one from a brother in church, the year of reckoning. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that, that's not a bad one though, a year of reckoning. And then there were other ones that were quite telling. And when I say telling, it sort of indicators you had some side of it was like, it was challenging, but there was testing and blessings. One person said there was a roller coaster, which is a really good word. Roller coaster, it was busy, but growth took place as well. There was that word challenge again, discovery and new. There was this one, fear, uncertainty, doubt. One person said a very blessed year. One person said a, there were blessed family and compassion. Here's Jimmy's other one to go with his very bad year. God is gracious. That was a save there. Thanks, brother. Okay. But these, these are that God is gracious. One person said, closer to God. And another person said, our God reigns. When looking back on the past year. And those three, I think, sum it up very well. And there were others that I considered to be quite worrisome. When I say worrisome, because it indicates just some of the hearts that they've gone through in the past year, which we may not even have realized. One person said it was sad, stink, and poopy. It was just a poop year for them. Um, Jono actually just said to me, he said, uncertainty, isolation, and weariness now. One person sent to me just this one word, and it was this, loneliness. That one really struck me. Because even though we were separated physically, when you think about it, there's no reason why we as the people of God should feel lonely. There's no way we as the people of God should feel isolated. There's no way we as the people of God should feel uncertain. Not because of the physical relationships that we share with one another, because that is the blessing God has given us, but because our God is the one who will never leave us 
nor forsake us. It is our God who is the God of comfort that picks us up and takes us in his arms. It's our God that makes us feel loved and embraced and accepted and welcomed. And so when we fail to see that, to see the love expressed and the love exemplified as we looked at yesterday with the Christmas message, it means that we've allowed other things to cloud our vision. We've allowed the circumstances to overwhelm us. or We've allowed just the various issues that, that stand in front of us to take precedence over a God that reigns over all. So when I think on these assessments of the past year, when I look at the challenges of the various changes, when I look at these testings and these reckonings, when I look at these uncertainties and these doubts, the fears and the sad, stink, poopy year that has taken place not only in the past year of 2021, but even in 2020, we must always contrast this with those same three statements made, that God is gracious, that God reigns, and that as Jono shared this morning, which he was actually quoting Jailed Lord Sanders, we are as only as close to God as we choose to be. It's the choice to be closer to him. And so when you have all of these issues, all of these trials, all of these struggles that we encounter, God has allowed us that through those things, we can actually be drawn closer to him. In James chapter 1, verse 12, we read that blessed is the man that endures temptation for when he is tried, he will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised to those that love him. Not when things are going sweet, not when things are easy, not when things go the way you expect them to go. No, it's when you are tried. It is when you are going through temptation. It is when you endure through those things, when you persevere through those things in the power of God. It is then you receive the crown of life. It is then you receive it. Not when things go sweet for you all the time. So if anything, this past year, as I have looked at it, has been, I guess you could say, a wake-up call, or at least it should be a wake-up call for us as a church and for us as individuals to be the people that God has called us to be, to be the people of God's love, to be the bearers of God's love indeed, more than just in word. The, 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 the how to love God has to be done in, in the action, not just in what I think or in my intent. To be the doer of God's love, not just the hearer or the sayer of it. So then, where do we start? Do we want to stay, whatever it was that you've learned over the past year, do you want to stay in the situation where you are now or do you want to move on from it? Even if it's a good one. If you're in a good situation spiritually, oh, I'm intimate with the Lord. Oh, I'm close to him. I'm in prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the word of God just indwell my spirit and, and it's expressed in how I live. That's wonderful if you're in that state. That is wonderful that you're sharing this intimacy and this closeness with God. But you want growth involves? Growth involves change. Do you want to stay there or does God want to take you further? Do you want to stay there or does God want to move you on? Do you want to stay there or do you want to experience more of God and his fullness that he wants to reveal to you? Remember in the scriptures that his eyes roam to and fro and he's looking for people in whom he might show himself great to? Do you want to be that person? Do you want to stay there? Or if you're in a not so good place, if you're in a place of just, just, blah, 
If you're in that state, does God, God wants to move you on from there too. This is part of that enduring temptation that you're in to move on from as well. And he wants to move you on from that as well, to develop you, to, to mature you. I mean, do you want to stay there or do you want to come out of that? So when we look at this last Sunday today, what are we going to do as we close out this year as a church and move into the new year of 2022? And that's what I want to share about with you today. That we, as we look back on the year that was, for all that it is to us and for all that we've been taken through, how can we, regardless, if we may experience the exact same thing in the coming year of 2022, how would we conduct ourselves differently than what we did in this past year? How can we shine as a church brighter than what we did in this past year? How can we grow in our intimacy with the Lord in such a deeper, more intimate way than what we did in the past year? Because even though the circumstances may change, our God is still God, and he still invites us to himself. As Jono shared from, um, come, in Matthew 11, come unto me all you labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That invitation is still made available to us, even though we might have another sad, stink, poopy year in front of us. So let's open a word of prayer. And I've just got two Bible verses to share with you this morning. So you know that's going to be maybe 50 minutes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, so much for your faithfulness. We thank you so much for your presence in this past year. That with all the hardships we experienced, with all the uncertainty that faced us, with the isolation that we went through, with the loneliness that just enveloped us. Thank you that you were always there. Thank you that you are always knocking on the door of our hearts, inviting us to come in with you, and inviting to sup with us. I pray, Father, that this morning we would know that love in such a way that we would not be distracted by whatever events, whatever issues, whatever circumstances might be going on in our lives right now, but rather see you and feel and, and be embraced by your love now. Please teach us from your word as we look at the scriptures this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you've got your Bibles, just turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to look at two verses today. Two verses today. So, where can I start as I close out this past year and enter into the new year? You look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, which we all will probably know. But we read this that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. This is where it starts for us as a people, no matter where you are, whether you're close to God right now or whether you're not, whether you're struggling with things in your own life or whether you're triumphant over those things, this is where it starts. It starts with knowing, knowing. Knowing him relationally, knowing him as a person. I was talking to a couple of brothers, so Brad and Brad and, and Tommy, and they both asked me the same question in regards, how can I pray for you? And, and one of the things that I asked prayer for was this, to know him better. 
like many relationships we have in life, sometimes we need to, to strip back the facade of our outward appearances uh, and, and actually get to the genuineness or, or the, the meatiness and the substance of what the relationship actually is, what the relationship actually looks like. See, we don't want to be like the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. The church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 were doing all the right things. They were doing all the right things outwardly. They were going to the church. They were attending the prayer meetings. They were sharing the gospel. They were active in the community. They were doing a whole bunch of really good things. But what was the one thing that Christ had against them? That they had left their first love. They had forsaken him. They had forsaken him and the relationship that he desired with them. And that's what we need to be aware of. That's why Paul says, even in, in prison now, a man who is active, one of the greatest proponents for the Christian faith in history outside of Jesus Christ, and even he, in prison, later on in life, says, I want to know him. And I want to know him even better. See, like the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, the solution to them was to repent of all this activity, to repent of all this action, to repent from all this outward appearance and get back to their relationship with him, to know him. Because that's an answer that is befitting for me, who can preach a sermon just for the sake of preaching a sermon. For me, who just reads a Bible because I know I have to read a Bible. For me, who, who, who attends a prayer meeting and can say words in a prayer without really praying. To get to the relationship, to know Jesus for him, not for anything else. To know him for the person that he is, not because of what he can give me to know him for what he has done for me, not because I get because of what he's done. That's what he has invited us to. That's why knowing is so important. To bask in the glory of the Son who is glorious, who is deserving of praise and worship. See, the prayer of Paul for the Ephesians in the letter to Ephesians, was that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation for this particular purpose. In Ephesians 1.17, John, I talked about it, to know him better. To know him better because it is so easy for us to fall into the rut of life's routine. So Paul says here while he's imprisoned that he would know him, not about him, not of him, but know him, to know his great love wherewith he loved us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, to know that he is God, as we read in John chapter 1, verse 1, to know that he is life in John 14, 6, that he is light in 1 John 1, 5, and that he is Lord in Philippians 2, 11. That's what Paul desired to know, and that's what I want to know. That's who I want to know. But as mentioned yesterday for the Christmas message, love expressed in this case from and for Jesus means it is a love to be relationally experienced. Roger Brewer came out to the school once, and he talked about that. He said to the kids, it was a bunch of year 11 and 12 students, and who were quite antagonistic because he was a pastor, and he just said to them, have you experienced the love of God? Have you experienced the relationship that he invites you to? 
Even as a Christian, have you experienced and do you experience that love every moment of every day as you go about your business? Because that's what he is inviting us to. And that's what he continually invites us to. To know him relationally. And you see this every day. Like, okay, I have a relationship with Dwayne Johnson. I have a relationship with Dwayne Johnson. I see him on TV. I know his grandfather knocked out my dad. I I know that's about it. I know that's all I know. That's my relationship with Jane Johnson. Okay, that's it. Nothing, Nothing more, nothing less. But it's a far cry from the relationship that I have with Nick Finn. I've been to Nick Finn's house for dinner. I'm bound to go there again very soon. Okay. You know, but I have, a, I have a friendship. I can ask Nick, can you pray for me, brother? I can ask Nick, can we go out together? Because I've got a concern. I need to unload my heart, brother. Can we talk, brother? This is a relationship experienced. This is the reality that I have in person. This is what I know. And I would much rather, I would much rather have this relationship with my brother Nick than I would with Dwayne Johnson. I would much rather, and I value and I treasure that over this one with Dwayne Johnson because I can see Dwayne anywhere on any device. But to have Nick invest into my life, to have Nick invest with me, that is something to be valued, something to be treasured. Now here's what's amazing. This is what Jesus Christ desires from you and I as well. He invites us to that same type of relationship, to that same type where I can pour out my heart and my soul to him, where I can lay my burdens at his feet when he comforts me and he speaks to me through his word and he calms my spirit by his Holy Spirit. That's what takes place. That's why he invites me to know him because in knowing him, I know peace, I know hope, and I know love. That's why. But it's not just knowing him. I like this because as you look further on, he says to know the power of his resurrection. So it's not only just knowing him, but to know the power of his resurrection, to know the power that raised Christ from death to life, to know the power that conquered the grave, to know the power that destroyed the enemy's hold on us. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, we read this. The one who does what is evil is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To know the resurrection power of Christ means that we can know the power that is, as we sang this morning, victory. That we can conquer that we can overcome, not because we are powerful, but because our God is, because we know him who is powerful. That's why when we read in James 4, 7, if we can submit ourselves to God and we resist the devil, the devil has no option but to flee. That's what happens when we know him, because then we know power, resurrection power, power to overcome. Then we're told to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And that implies that knowing Jesus isn't always easy. I think this is one of the portrayals of the Christian faith that has created a lot of misconceptions. Christians have troubles. 
Christians struggle. Christians have hardships. Christians can wrestle with things. The only difference is that as Christians, we have our God who walks with us through every single aspect of our lives. It is the experiences even of knowing Jesus that will result in us suffering. And you see this. You might miss out on a promotion for the sole reason you're a follower of Jesus. You may have looked at, and I've, I know I've made reference to this, and one of my nieces does it really well. He's the side eye. Have you ever, who's received the side eye? Raise your hand if you had a side eye. If those don't know what a side eye is, is that when you say something, people, people around, they don't say it, but they look out the corner of their eye, just like, and it's just like, oh, one of those people. One of, one of those, not Polynesians, Christians. You know, oh, one of, one of those followers of Jesus. And you're going to experience that if you follow Jesus and hold to his values, hold to his heart. Knowing him, that in itself puts you in a bad stead. Why? Because the world hates everything that Jesus represents. John 15, verses 18 to 20 says this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me, Jesus, before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If we live a life that is honoring to God by the way we live and act and conduct ourselves, if we love as Jesus loves, if we accept as Jesus accepts, as we stand for what Jesus stands for, then we'll, we will, we will, that's, there's no, no ifs, buts, or maybes, we will suffer for that because we're walking the way Jesus walked. And because he walked that way, he suffered, therefore we too will suffer. And the thing is this, it may not necessarily be just the harassment of other people. It may be the spiritual attacks of the enemy who, who whispers in your ear and says, you screwed it up again, Joe. It could be, it could be the, the, the enemy just tapping you on the shoulder and, and sowing seeds of doubt. It could be the enemy questioning the way you do things. It'll be the enemy trying to isolate you from the rest of everybody else within the church or it'll even just isolate you from the word of God. And you have, and, and what happens when he does that is that these words of uncertainty, when I, when I go back to what I shared before, these words of uncertainty, these words of doubt and of, of fear, these, these challenges, all these things, they start to gain more weight the more we listen to those things. And then we find ourselves being directed by those things instead of by the word of God. And directed by those things instead of what, what the Lord says and how his spirit ministers to our spirit. And what happens is that when we get distracted by those things, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says what? That the, the, the devil is like a roaring lion, right? He roams about seeking whom he may devour. Now here's the thing. What do lions do when they hunt? They look for those that are separated from the herd. They look for those that are isolated. They look for those that are, that are lonely or are sick or are ailing. And, and when, when they're separate from those things, they come swooping in and snatch them up. That's why we're supposed to be the body of Christ. Not the finger, not the toe, 
We're the body of Christ. Because when we're united, the enemy can't come in. Because uh, I guarantee you this, I guarantee you this. If I lost a finger, my body would know about it. My body would know about it. I'd be like, oh, my finger's gone. How can I scratch my bald head? How can I pick my nose? I don't know, whatever it might be. But it'll be gone. I would know that. Okay? And then you become, hey, the, the human body is such an amazing thing that when you lose a finger, you still feel like you have your whole finger there. You know something's missing, but it still feels like it's still there. This is what the body of Christ is to be. That when people are gone, we know it. There's a space. But this is what the fellowship of our suffering is, because this is what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy is trying to break us up. The enemy is trying to divide us. But knowing Jesus, knowing his power that overcomes, knowing that that power can overcome such sufferings because of the sufferings he went through gives us, I guess you could say, an encouragement to know that we too can overcome. And that we too, in knowing his sufferings and knowing his resurrection power, would be conformed to his death. In Colossians 2.20, it says this, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? We are removed from the authority of the world because we are now under the authority of Christ. And being dead in Christ means then my life is hid with Christ as well. Uh, Colossians chapter three, verses three and four. Now, I know this is a lot, but I want us to get onto the same page of looking out, closing this past year with us focusing on getting to know Jesus. This is why it's a year of reckoning. The year of reckoning is for you and I to ask ourselves, do I know Jesus more than what I did at the end of last year? It's a year of reckoning in the sense that, have I made choices in this past year that did not honor God, that did not grow my relationship with Him, and did not develop my intimacy in my own spiritual life with the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why it's a year of reckoning. Pastor John mentioned a number of times, whether he put it on the chat, whether he said from um, in prayer meetings, whatever it might be, that when we had lockdowns, and lockdowns were shocking. I, like, I didn't like it. I mean, I like, I like going around and meeting people, and I wasn't limited because of my position here, which was a great blessing. But here's what's crazy. Pastor John mentioned this. With all the free time we had in our homes, how many of that was spent investing into our spiritual lives? How much of that time was spent just praying or seeking God or developing that relationship with Him? We had months, we were all at home and we worked from home and things like that. And please, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not messing around. I'm not saying, hey, look, because I know a lot of people work hard and they, they're working on their computers. You're doing your Zoom chats and all that sort of stuff. Your international phone calls. I understand all of that. What I'm saying is that I know for myself, when I had maybe a bit of free time, instead of opening up the Word, maybe I'll put on Netflix. Instead of praying for someone specifically, I picked up a comic book. You know what I mean? That's why it's a year of reckoning, because there are so many things that we could have done to develop our spiritual lives in such a better way than what we did. That's why it's a year of reckoning. That's why with this year that was, and how many of us would much rather forget it, 
we are faced with this wonderful hope and this wonderful prospect that we can move forward. But we have to start with the right foundation. And what is that? That is knowing him first. Then after we know him, this is my second verse. Look at verse 13. We look at then forgetting. Okay. Bring up my paper. There it is. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. That's from the New King James. You see, the first part of this verse addresses us, oh, before we get to forgetting, the first part of the verse is an honest look at ourselves. He says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I think in the NIV it talks about taken hold of or attained. But he says the fact that I haven't fully taken hold of the, the blessed position of being conformed unto his death, as what it talks about in verse 10. And, and therefore I'm not experiencing the fullness of Christ's resurrection from the dead, is what he talks about in verse 11. Now, victory has been gained through Jesus' death, and that victory was secured through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And while I know the fullness of that victory through my trust in him, when I asked Jesus to save me from my sin, I had automatically become a recipient of that victory. I've automatically become a winner because of his death and resurrection from the dead. So my current condition now is one of being a victor in Christ. He overcame death, I will overcome death as well in Christ. He has power and authority over the enemy, I too have power and authority over the enemy in Christ. But I don't live that way, do I? And I don't think a lot of us experience that victory. Why? Because now we have the truth of our victory, we have the truth of our overcoming, we have the truth of our conquering in the person of Christ, and here's Joe here who's often defeated, who often fails, and who often makes mistakes. This is the sanctifying nature of God's Holy Spirit within each of our lives as he takes this broken, bald, full of mistakes and limitations person and brings me to a point where I, in turn, with the way I live, would eventually measure up to this. That's why he's saying, look, I may not have completely taken hold of it yet. I haven't completely taken hold of the victory and of the overcoming and of the conquering yet. I'm, I'm, I'm capable of it, but I'm not there yet because God is working in and through me. That's why he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, or as the NIV says, I've not considered myself yet to have taken hold of it because we're still in the process of our growth of God working with us as his workmanship. So what does Paul do in that process? That's in the next part of the verse. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now there's two ways of looking at that whole forgetting this and reaching forward. You can look at them individually. If we look at the whole side of forgetting, uh, we can, uh, for example, we can appropriate forgetting to like an accident or to a mental lapse. My wife says, Joe, can you pick up some milk? Sure. I get distracted. I forgot to get the milk. Okay. Oh, I've got to go up with a shopping list. And I, 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 I don't know if you've done this. I take a shopping list and I still forget stuff even though they're on the shopping list. 
yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, okay. But we can attribute forgetting to a mental lapse of some sort. But I think the more accurate definition of this word here, forgetting, is choosing not to remember. It's choosing not to remember because as, a, as, as a nat- our nature as people, as sinful and naturally self-centered people we are, whenever we do make mistakes, whenever we do fail, when the enemy does whisper, you know what we like to do? We like to dwell on it. We like to wallow in our, oh, woe is me for I'm undone. Oh, wretched man that I am. And we stay in that and the enemy uses that against it. You know, we, we do make silly mistakes. We do make dumb choices. We do have, even in our own lives, deliberate disobedience. And then when we remain there, we can completely lose sight of these beautiful truths that we read in the scriptures, like in 1 John 1.7, how the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us or cleanses us from all sin. We can lose sight of that. We can lose sight of Ephesians 1.7 that in Christ we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. We can be, I guess you could say, we could be Job's friends to ourselves. We can condemn ourselves because we are focused on ourselves throughout the whole time. And the enemy wants us to stay there and to dwell there as well. Um, Eamon Sullivan, I've shared this with you before, he said, because you as children of God can no longer belong to the enemy, the enemy desires to make you as ineffective as possible. And if it means getting your eyes off Jesus and dwelling in your own self-pity, then that's what he'll do. And see, and so we do it that way. So once we choose to forget, once we choose not to remember things, then we can look at reaching forward. Then we can focus on what's in front of us. Then we look at focusing on the author and perfecter of our faith or having our eyes to the hills where our, where our help comes from and how our help comes from the Lord. That our eyes, like in Psalm 25, verse 15, that our eyes are ever on the Lord for only he will release my feet from the snare. So we can do it that way. We can either try to forget so then we can move on. But I think Paul refers to this as one thing. When he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching to those things that are before, I think Paul is focusing on this, that we should be focusing on the reaching forward. We should be focusing on pressing on because when you're reaching forward, your eyes are focused on what is in front of you and you don't think about what's behind you that automatically gets forgotten. That's why he says looking unto Jesus, because when we're looking that way, everything else pales in comparison. You know this. You know this. You'll be so consumed with doing something or a task that's in front of you, then you won't worry about the things that had happened recently because you're more concerned with what's in front of you. You're looking forward because what's in front of you happens to hold your attention. For example, Jesus taught this principle to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what that's called? That's called reaching forward. Laying up treasures in heaven, that's called reaching forward. And when you're looking forward to eternity, to what's being laid up in heaven, you're not worried about the stuff that's around you or the stuff that picks you up because you're looking forward. 
When Paul told the Colossians to set their affections on things above and not on things on the earth in Colossians 3, he was instructing them and us to do what? To reach forward, to look what's in front of you, not what's behind. To, to, keep, to keep pressing on. For in reaching forward with my affections on things above, in reaching forward and laying my treasures in heaven, in reaching forward for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, according to Philippians 3.14, that helps me to interpret my current context rightly. It means I can interpret my struggles and my triumphs, my victories and my failures from the perspective of my eternal existence that I'm reaching forward to. That's why. That's why I need to, not on what gives me, not on what gives me some temporary relief in a world that ultimately leaves me empty. Why look for my satisfaction? Why look for my contentment? Why look for that, as we talked about yesterday, and something that will just disappear? in the bigger scheme of things. Rather, reach forward for what's in front of us. Reach forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And then those things that are forgotten just happens naturally. So when I think about the year that was, as, as terrible as it may have been for some, as hard and as difficult, how, however you see it, that's irrelevant. These are the things that are behind. We are to reach forward to what God is going to do in 2022. To reach forward to what he and how he will move in my life and in your life. As difficult as 2029 has been with the lockdowns, financial hardship, career changes, government overreach, and plain old ordinary measures that can, through prolonged exposure, become a pressure in our very lives, we are encouraged by Paul to do what? To know him. To develop that relationship with him. To cherish and to protect that relationship with him. To know his love, to know his mercy, to know his compassion, and to know his grace. And in knowing that, and knowing him, and in reaching forward to him, the stuff that took place in 2021, although we can learn from becomes a non-existent threat. It's just there. Because we see it from his perspective. And reaching forward, being consumed with the things of God, then truly, then truly, the old things will pass away and all things will become as new. Like it says in Psalm 16.8, which I'm, I want to be a memory verse, wants to use a memory verse. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's our memory verse for this week. Psalm 16.8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And with that, brothers and sisters, if you'll close your eyes and bow your heads, we'll close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, our great and precious God, we thank you. Thank you for this past year, as difficult as it has been for many of us, we thank you that you remain faithful. We thank you that even in the fears and the doubts and the uncertainty, you will always reign.
we thank you that when people had experienced so much hurt and disappointment and even discouragement, you will always be sovereign. And so we leave 2021 in the past. We leave those things that are behind, and whilst we have learned from them, I pray that we will reach forward to the things that are before, that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and that as you were in 2021, you will be again in 2022, and we can take comfort in that. I pray that you will help us to know you, to invest into our relationship with you, to hear and be moved by your spirit, to allow you to transform us from the inside out so that we'll be consumed with things above, not on things on the earth, to set our affections on things of eternity and not on things of this world. And Father, that we in turn, not only in knowing you, will also experiencing the blessing of, of forgetting these things that weigh us down as we reach forward to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. So, Father, we ask for you to dismiss us now and to stir within our hearts a hunger and a passion for you above all else. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.